turn now to uh, Revelation chapter 9. And uh, what I've been seeking to do in these chapters is, uh, even going back to the first chapters, is getting a bird's eye view of the uh, book of Revelation. Uh, there is a great deal of detail in each of one of these chapters. And uh, what we want to do is see, get an impression of what the author is seeking to convey to us. And that's really uh, the, the, the main point of these visions, is to create impressions upon us of the level of, of demonic activity that will characterize the first and second coming of Christ and all points in between. Now, as a working uh, principle, we are to understand what the Bible tells us about the intensity of the working of the devil. One of the principles is this, that because the devil knows his time is short, he has come down to the earth with great fury. Just as any army knows that its time is short, it's going to throw everything it has at its enemy. And the, the, uh, the battle will intensify. And this is really what we're seeing here when we see the intensification of demonic activity in the age in which we live. Now, that's one of the ways in which we think through these chapters that we're looking at, verse, chapters 8 and 9, when, it thinks, when we think about the trumpets, or in the chapters previous, when we saw the opening of the seals, and we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and the way they come with all sorts of war and famine and so on. And this is the principle with which we look and try to understand the finer details of these chapters. That as we look in on it, the chapters are describing for us in various ways, with, through various pictures, the way in which the devil works. Sometimes through outward attacks like war and and disease and things like that, but other, in other ways more subtly through deception and through appearing as an angel of light and sometimes more subtle ways. And what we're going to see in this chapter is the idea of false teaching. And that goes back to the book of Genesis where the devil first introduces himself to the human race as a false teacher. Now that is a principle again that continues throughout the Bible. That the devil does his greatest work through deception. And as we, we saw even in the early days of the New Testament, another gospel. As Paul says, if any man comes to you preaching a gospel other than the one that we have preached, let him be Cursed. So do you see, Paul uses his strongest language for false teachers. He doesn't speak that way about armed robbers or murderers or things like that. But the, and, and, and even with Jesus. Where does Jesus pronounce his woes in the Gospel of Matthew? Woe unto you! 
Who? Murderers? Thieves? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You teachers. You see, the wrath of Jesus comes down most heavily upon false teaching. And therefore, because that was such an element in John, and we're seeing it in our Tuesday night Bible study, and uh, uh, we, we're seeing how the element of teaching is so paramount to John. He doesn't say store up your money or add to your weapon supplies and defend yourself and these sorts of things. He is most concerned about whether people are going to be taught the truth or not. Not so much whether they have enough food or clothing or whether they're going to live in a hostile environment. I'm not saying that he doesn't care about these things. Of course he does. But his, his preeminent passion, as was Paul, as was Jesus, is truth. Because truth sets a man free. It's not money. It's not cars. It's not a home. It's not a career. It's not people. Truth sets us free. And so the devil knows that. The devil knows that it is the truth of the Bible that changes people. It's the truth of the Bible that goes against the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus married those two things together. Matthew 11, when the disciples came back from preaching what? The gospel, not just from healing, not just from feeding, not just from doing things. When they came back from preaching the gospel, Jesus said what? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is the framework that we approach then these very strange visions that John is having here. And again, commentators are divided when we get into the nitty-gritty of some of these images as to what these things exactly are. But they are not, as when we looked at the throne of heaven, some of the things going on there, they were not divided on what the chapters as a whole were telling us. Now we're into chapter 9. John, in the last chapter, required basically six verses to set forth four trumpets. Four trumpets, described in verses 7 to 12. Now, he uses 21 verses to describe two trumpets. Why the imbalance? It's because we're moving from uh, from a place of lesser to a greater intensity. Even within chapter 9, you are moving from a degree of lesser to greater intensity, from locusts to horses, as the, uh, uh, as the intensity continues to build. And in all of this, he shows the seriousness of those who are rejecting God. That's where it comes down to our present day. It comes down to 2022 here in Disable. It comes down to our own lives. The, the idea that we can align ourselves with the power of darkness. Now again, if you go back to the Gospel sense, Jesus was, when He addressed the teachers of the law. Now, not just the average Jew, but the teachers of the law. What did he call them? 
he called them, you are the sons of your father, the devil. Because you are rejecting the grace of God. You are dealing in false teaching. You're misrepresenting God. Jesus was saying they are aligning themselves with the devil himself and with the devil's works. That's, again, a bird's eye view when we come to chapters 8 and 9. We're seeing an unleashing of demonic power that we have never seen in the world before. And there will be certain people that will fall in under either one of two camps. Those who are doing the devil's bidding and being tormented by the devil, or those who are the sealed. Now John makes that clear here in verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. You remember what the seal was. They were sealed by the blood of Christ. They, had, they were sealed by the Spirit of God. They were protected. They were kept. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That every believer is now under the sovereign protection of Jesus. They're covered in the blood. Go back to Egypt. Why did the angel of death not kill the firstborn in the house of the Israelites? Because there was the seal of blood over the door. And so here he is looking at those who continue to rebel against God's truth and refuse to have God in their lives. And that's where, as I say, the Word of God comes down to us most personally. Because the human race is made up of people. Made up of humans. People like you and I. And because we are in a gospel church where we seek to proclaim the gospel week by week by week, that puts us in a very particularly privileged position in terms of responding or not responding, of softening our hearts to go toward God or hardening our hearts toward God. In fact, John in, that, in uh, the epistle that we'll look at says, when we do not believe God, we call Him a liar. You can read that for yourself in 1 John chapter 5. When we refuse to believe the testimony that He has given about His Son. And when we take that in concert with all the other things that we've just said about Jesus' view of the truth, God's view of the truth, Paul and John and all the Bible writers' view of the truth, and how important the truth is for the salvation of mankind and the welfare of mankind, then that puts us in a very important place this morning. It says, Lord, what about me? What has been my response to the truth? Have I been set free by the truth? I've been coming to church for years or however long, but have, has my life changed? Has my view of sin changed? Has my view of money changed or relationships changed or the future or death or my relationship with you? Has that changed, Lord? Am I a different person? Am I sealed or am I still 
open, wide open to the consequences of rejecting the Lamb who is now bringing all these things upon the world. And so the reason for all of these things, of course, is sin. You can see that at the end of chapter 9. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshipping demons and idols, gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see, hear, or walk. That's a reference back to Isaiah 44 and 45. Nor did they repent of their murders or sorceries, sexual immorality, or their thefts. So that's, these things are catch-all for a life of unbelief. And so these things that we will go on to describe that befall unbelievers, those who are not sealed, is because of their, their unbelief and their continued rebellion against God. And so, what the chapter does, it allows us to see. It, we can put on glasses, as it were. It's like 3D glasses. You know, you go into this, you put on 3D glasses, and you're able to see, you look around and say, wow, this is amazing. And you can see things as they really are. You can see depth, you can see color, you can see all. And as this chapter does that, it enables us to see the spiritual. It able, enables us to see me sitting in my unbelief and say, well, here I am in Disable on a nice summer morning at, what is it, 10, 12, 13 degrees outside. I'm going home to a nice dinner. Uh, life is good. Uh, I've got my career. I've got my this, that, and the other ahead of me. And yet, when we see where we are before God, that's the big question. It's not how I feel, is it? You might say, well, I don't feel in rebellion against God. If you were to ask me, i say, well, I don't feel particularly rebellious against God. And yet, how we feel about something is not the litmus test. Jesus shows that in His ministry when the Apostle Peter, after Jesus said, look, I'm going to go to the cross and die. I'll be beaten, I'll be spit upon, and I'll be ultimately crucified. And Peter straightens up, steps forward, and with all the best intentions and love in his heart that he feels for Jesus, he said, Lord, this will never happen to you. What does Jesus do? It's like a curtain. And he says, who's behind there? He pulls the curtain. And he looks with the eyes of faith. He looks beyond what seems to be good. And he says, I see who's behind there. Get thee behind me, Satan. And what this is describing, these locusts, these horses, these unearthly beings as they are coming, they're describing a spiritual battle that is going on for the souls of men. Souls of men and women in churches much like ours all over the world. Because the devil knows that you and I have an immortal soul, that we are created in his image, that we are valuable, and he doesn't care about anything but the destruction of our souls. 
And that's why Jesus had to speak the way he did. Get thee behind me, Satan, for you desire the things that be of man and not of God. He was able to see beyond, wasn't he? And so, the fifth angel blew his trumpet and the star had fallen from the heavens and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of the shaft. Who is this angel? Well, it seems to be the same one that is spoken about at the end of uh, verse 11. They have a king over them and the angel of the bottomless, bottomless pit, his name is in the Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. In other words, the devil himself. The, one of the things that we need to notice is that he was given the key. In verse 1. We need to reassure ourselves that all of these things that are happening is not without the sovereignty of God. That he was given the keys. And that this chapter, as terrifying as it can be, one of the things that keeps coming through all throughout the book, in fact, is that God is in control even of the demonic. And that God uses the demonic even in this world for His own good while He Himself is not the author of evil nor is there any sin in God. Why would God in a desire to destroy sin and evil, put His Son on the cross if He was Himself the author of evil. No, the Bible says God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. We can look at stories in the Bible like Joseph who uh, was sold into Egypt through the malice of his brothers. And when it all washed out, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. There was real devilish evil in your heart. But God meant it for good. God was able to turn that and use it for the salvation of the world. God is never charged with sin in that situation. God is never charged with sin in the death of His Son. But God used the death of His Son. And the same can be said of many of our lives. We can, many of us, look back and say, if it were not for that, I would not be sitting here today. If it were not for that situation in my life, I would not love Jesus. I would have no use for Jesus. But now, because God allowed trouble and evil even, the, in, the evil of people to come in and impact my life, I am now humble. And I am now able to see life for what it really is. And see why we are here. I now love the Lord Jesus. I now love even the people who hated me and did those things to me. You see, God is able. That's what's going on in this chapter. In all these strange images and pictures, God is using evil for His own purposes. And so, out of the pit comes this smoke. Smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened and with the smoke of the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Now, we need to remember and remind ourselves that God is, John is seeing images here. We're not to imagine that there's some place on earth 
where there is a big cement shaft coming up with smoke rolling out of it. And that if you go down there far enough, you get to hell. And in that, there are all these little locusts who have hair of women and, and uh, iron teeth and breastplates of iron. And No, he's, he's creating an image. That into God's pristine creation has come the smoke and the distortion of the devil. This is what the devil is setting for. To blind people. To confuse people. That's, that's what smoke does. Smoke damages. Smoke blinds. Smoke irritates. And when we were looking at our First John chapter 4 on Tuesday night, we saw these words. John says, he says, brothers, test the spirits that they are of God. For many antichrists have gone out into the world. Many spirits have gone into the world to deceive, to distort. This is what is coming out of the pit of hell. This is what's coming out of the, the shaft of the abyss. That which confuses, that which pollutes, that which distorts. To ruin, to pollute God's creation. Not only the cre physical creation, but God's ultimate creation when He said on the sixth day, let us make man in our own image. That's where God stood back and said, let us do something very special. And that's where the devil really got on his hind legs, didn't he? And that's what makes you and I so significant. Because we're made in God's image. And because of that, the devil has a particular interest in us. And that's why his desire is to end what we're doing here in Disable. Or to keep you from being in Disable or any other Gospel church. To bring servants of the Gospel down. To keep the Word from being discussed in our homes. To keep parents busy with this, that, and the other so that they don't have time to tell their children about Jesus. Smoke. Gushing, blinding, distorting, confusing, reorienting priorities. No, we've got to do this. We don't have time for that. You see, you don't have to be followed around by a big plume of smoke to know that the devil's at work. It's in these things, you see. Beware. This is what he, these are the words that he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's like that shaft has been opened up and these demonic beings are going out into the world to deceive, to confuse, to blind men's eyes, to keep them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Have you been a victim, perhaps, of that smoke? Or you've been telling yourself and believing the lie that a man's life consists in what he owns. That it consists in my job or my career or whatever it might be. But what is that doing? Where is that leading you? Friend, if it's leading you away from Jesus and the Gospel, you are in the midst of that smoke. 
You're in the midst of that haze. And you need to see clearly the truth of the Gospel. And so, it, it, it comes in, in various ways. It says, in appearance, verse 7, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Now, it goes through a whole list of descriptions. Now, are we to picture locusts that actually exist with all these characters? No, just as we were not told that we were to actually believe that Jesus has hair like wool or fire coming out of his eyes or feet of brass. What was it describing? It was describing something, a principle. It was describing a characteristic that was to impress itself upon me. The white hair of Jesus described his wisdom. The fiery eyes, his, omnip- his omniscience to see and to know and to what's going on in the church. His feet of brass that spoke of his authority and power. So you get an impression of Jesus, don't you? No, we don't say that Jesus actually physically is like that, nor do we say that demons go about with long hair and big iron teeth and breastplates of iron and so on, but it's to create an impression of their multifaceted way in which they come at us. They are strong and sometimes elegant and powerful like a horse. If they have, it says here, uh, uh, crowns of gold on their head. Speaking of the glory of this world, the Satan said to Jesus, "Worship me, and I'll give you the glory of the world." Their faces like human faces. In other words, intelligence, hair like a woman's hair, the subtle. Uh, 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 deceptiveness uh, and, and attractiveness of, as, as he goes on to describe, Babylon, who is like a prostitute who, who entices the people of the earth, wins them with her feminine ways, her charms. This is again how the devil operates. He has the, the power of a lion's teeth. What does the Bible say? That the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. With the sting of the tail of a scorpion. All of these things, the way in which sin looks so appealing, but in the end, it will catch us when we're not looking. That's the nature of sin, isn't it? It blinds us sometimes to the consequences. Until we're in those consequences and we feel the sting of it. That's what the scorpion is. The picture of the scorpion here. It has the sting of the tail of a scorpion. So in other words, all of these things are describing for us the ways in which evil will subtly change and manifest itself to entice us. The Bible says that the devil can appear like an angel of light. An angel of light. That looks so good. That looks so enticing. Now I say all this so that we again are dealing in the realm of a bird's eye view to say he is describing here the multifaceted 
way in which the demonic world comes after people. Sometimes strong, sometimes subtle, sometimes beautiful and attractive like an angel of light. But ultimately, leaving in its wake sorrow and destruction. Leaving the sting behind. That's really what John is seeing when he's seeing these locusts coming up out of the pit of hell. And again, like I said, you don't have to be followed around by a big plume of smoke to know that the devil is at work in a person's life. But it comes down to this idea of how am I reacting to the Gospel? How am I reacting to Jesus? Am I believing that? Or is my eyes being clouded by the world? Am I being intimidated by the world? Am I being enticed by the world? Am I being deceived by the world? You see, all of these ways are seen in these locusts coming up out of the pit. And so all of these things are to present before us an impression of this is overwhelming. This is incredible. Where ought I to go? What ought I to do? The answer is that those who have the seal of God on their heads were not harmed. You see, just like I've been saying, God will use suffering and punishment and judgment in our lives sometimes to drive us to Him. To say, I am overwhelmed. I am surrounded and I am inhabited by evil. Jesus says, out of, out of the heart comes all manner of evil. Our hearts are like that abyss, isn't it? Out of the heart comes idolatry and adultery and lying and stealing and all these things. And you carry that around. You and I carry that around with us. And we say, well, what am I to do? And we run to the Lord Jesus Christ. We run to Him. One person has said that Satan's hordes are at work across the earth, destroying people's lives, inciting them to commit appalling crimes against one another, making life utterly miserable for millions, holding them captive in false religions. Again, how are we to see the religions of the world from a biblical point of view? Do we simply throw in the towel with many modern people and say, well... There are many ways to God. Many evangelical churches are saying that now. You can be whatever you want, and still, you can be right with God. But this is not the case. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Me. Again, it gives us new lenses in which to see what's going on around the world. People destroying themselves through false teaching, false religion. Paul himself, when he stood in the Areopagus in Mars Hill, he didn't say, look, if you worship God this way, that's fine. If you worship God, that's fine. Let's all get together. He said, no. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. For He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world through the man He has appointed, Jesus Christ. So, 
friends, we see with the unleashing of these things how the devil is at work. One commentator said, if only people could see the demons behind the so-called pleasures and privileges of the world, they would shrink back and cry out in horror. Isn't it wonderful that God is giving you glasses this morning? Maybe you were like that. The first time you put on a pair of glasses that you were given a prescription for, you put them on and said, man, I can't believe I'm seeing so well. I can see this, that, and the other. God is saying, here, put on the spiritual glasses of my word that you may see the spiritual dangers that are there, where the devil is really at work in our world. And that these locusts and these horses and all these incredible beings are pictures of how the devil is at work in our world and perhaps in your own life. So we put the glasses on and we say, I was so in danger. I was in such a bad place. Even in my prosperity, everything was going well, but I was still a self-righteous person. I was still trusting in myself. My family life was good. My job was good. Everything was going well, but I was still trusting in yours truly. And so the Scriptures help us to see in a real way the dangers that are there before us. And so we're called upon then to pray that God would enable us to see the evil of sin, to see how subtle, subtler than you, subtler than me, he's wiser, he's been at it longer than any of you who've been here this morning. He's been doing it since day one. He came to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he subtly came to them. He says, did God really say? Maybe you're saying that to yourself this morning. Can these things Did God really say? He, he's been at it a lot longer than we are. And the, the biggest danger, the biggest mistake that we can make is thinking that we can outwit the devil. Listen, this is the only way to outwit the devil. We can only outwit him. Because look, look at how he is described. Look at these, at these locusts. Look at these horses. Look at how he's described in his multifaceted way. That's to overwhelm even the, better, the best of us to say, I can't do it. You can't do it. <laughs> We're done. I've got to go to Jesus. He has won. The Lamb has triumphed. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has overcome the powers of darkness. And therefore, in Him I can... I, can, I will not be deceived. I cannot be deceived. I must win. Because greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. And we see much of the same as it comes uh, uh, to the sixth. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there. Sixth in, a, angel blew his trumpet and the horns and the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Euphrates in the Old Testament was a picture of where all the enemies of God's people came from. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, all these people, they originated in the Euphrates. He is not saying that it's from that part of the world that God's enemies are going to come from today. He's simply creating a picture 
that just as it was in the Old Testament, where God unleashed the Babylonians and the Assyrians on an unbelieving, rebellious nation of Israel, so God will do so even today. And he goes on, release the four angels. So the angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day, the month of the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. Again, we're talking about the sovereignty of God, God interceding, that there's a time period, that there is a number appointed. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision, those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire, of sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Again, you're seeing the same principles, but intensified in these horses. By these three plagues, uh, 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 by these uh, three plagues, a third of um, uh, mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. And so on. He is again showing the threat that the devil poses to mankind. Not just in false teaching, but in the destruction of people. I was saying to folks in Cape Traverse this morning, I was watching videos yesterday that somebody shot in the streets of Philadelphia as they just drove down the street. And to see men and women buckled over on the ground some with only the strength to jab a needle into their arm. Lying, almost indistinguishable from the garbage that littered the streets. I thought, this, this is hellish. Here is where the devil is on his hind legs in a place like this. Not only Philadelphia, but San Francisco, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. All over the world where mankind are being destroyed. Where they, where they become like human refuge on the street. And then we're beginning to see, look, this has, there's a reason behind all of this. Mankind has rejected God. He's turned his back on God. And mankind is suffering the consequences. And we are doing that at breakneck speed, friends. Whether we like to say it or not, this is where our society, Canadian society, is going. Where Western society is going. At breakneck speed, we're turning our backs on God. We're taking God's good creation. And it's being polluted with the smoke of the devil. As God's purposes and plans and His design for men and women created in His image are taken and twisted. Where... Humanity itself is being redefined. Male and female are being redefined. And I know I sound like a broken record sometimes when it comes to these things, but this is what we're living through. This is what we're seeing. As the smoke and the fire and the locusts and all the demonic activity of hell itself is being spewed upon the earth, we're seeing at a breakneck speed how quickly mankind wants to turn his back on God. And at the end, he says that they, did, they, ref, they, they refused, he says, to repent. He says, it's very sad. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands and so on. 
In other words, the trumpet blast kept sounding. And rather than repenting, they hardened their heart. Paul wrote about people who were engaged in these lifestyles, who were for a time given over to the judgments of God and to demonic behavior, but chose to repent. Listen to what he says. He says about the Corinthians that some of them were sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, and people like them. And these will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you. Those who had given themselves over to sensuality, idolatry, and all the rest. Sons, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, in this, God is saying to us, as we see these judgments going on around us, as we see the afflictions in our own lives, what is it to do? It's to drive us and say, Lord, only in You do I have hope. Only in You do I have salvation. Only in You can I escape the judgment that will come upon those who choose to go their own way and embrace the things that you hate. Sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, people who steal, and that can be in various ways. They will not enter the kingdom of God. And so as we look in on this this morning, as we understand these things through a spiritual lens, may we not hesitate. May we not delay and say, well, maybe next week. But no. Now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation to call upon God. To call upon the Lamb. To call upon the only One who can deliver us from the smoke and the sulfur and the the, the pollution that's being spewed in our faces to keep us deceived and to keep us in a place of submission. Let's pray.